Hello fellow brethren and welcome to the Faith Encounter Service from the Cordes Family Church University City, Philadelphia. The message you're about to hear is a faith-filled message of Pastor Daniel Oposui, a beloved son of Bishop Daniel Mills. Open up your heart, listen with faith, and allow the Word of God to bring positive change and transformation into your life. Happy listening. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time in your presence. We acknowledge your presence here. We ask for your spirit to be with us, speak to us, teach us. Thank you for everyone that is here. Thank you for making a way for us to be here today. Father, may your word touch our hearts. May your word bring life and healing and direction into our lives. Father, I pray against every spirit that is not of you that will try to steal the word from us. May you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a blessing to be in church today. And um, I want to just continue with what we have been studying over the last few weeks on the subject of loyalty and disloyalty. Amen. How many of you are learning something about loyalty and disloyalty? How many of you want to be disloyal, to be described as disloyal Christians? Nobody? Okay. How many of you want to be described as loyal Christians or loyal believers? Only five of you. Okay. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, the screen, it says that moreover, to be loyal. us about loyalty. Now, the opposite of loyalty is disloyalty. If you are not being loyal, you are now, Last week, in particular, about pages of disloyalty, sorry, disloyalty, the stages of loyalty. Loyal is a process. It doesn't take place over. It doesn't take place instant. It takes place over time, and and that's why we teach about it because in the church, most don't over one incident, and most people don't realize that they are being loyal because it's process and it takes. A so we are. Lo- so that we can arrest any of disloyalty inside of us. us need about this important subject. I said also last week that disloyalty is probably one of the biggest, or should I say, the, the, the most important. a church or what caused a church to be destroyed, you will know that or you will find out that there was a spirit of disloyalty that was manifesting within the church. So we have to learn to detect disloyalty and we must understand that disloyalty has great, great consequences. Amen. Stage was the first step of the that we studied, and we saw that um, 
people are becoming they start typically with being independent and being independent in the sense that they want to do what they when they want how they want when you want it, how you want it. That's a independence. Okay. We studied about Joab. Joab was a great man who was working with David, King David. And we learned about all the different where he independence. An attitude where he was non-compliant with and time and time again, switch it again. Hallelujah. Is it better? Okay. So time and time again, you see that Joab would move independently and do something directly against what his master had told him to do. It happened all the time. All the time. So Joab is a classic example of someone who was independent. Now, the second stage that we talked about, the second stage of disloyalty is that of offense. 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 Many people become disloyal to the church and disloyal to God when they are offended. That's why you have to guard against offense. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, it says that, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Offense always precedes hatred. When you are offended, you are a candidate for disloyalty. I want to move very quickly because today I want to just try and finish this um, subject because we still have about five more stages of disloyalty to cover and we are only on stage three. So the third stage of disloyalty is passivity. Everyone say passivity or being passive, being passive, being passive. So people start, disloyalty starts with independence, then it moves to offense, and then it moves into passivity. Now, when a person is in the passive stage of disloyalty, he or she does not involve himself in much. He sits and watches unconcerned and uninvolved. And doesn't seem to be or want to be a part of anything that's going on in the church. That's passivity. When you see that you are becoming passive, not someone else becoming passive, you are becoming passive, you need to quickly do something about it because it means that you have already reached stage three of disloyalty. As a church, we always look out for passive people. A pastor must always look out for passive people. Now, we're not talking about people who generally have a, um, a calm demeanor or, um, you know, you know, there are some type of people who don't like to talk much, who don't like to do, um, be engaged too much. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about someone who was previously very active, very involved, very engaged, and then suddenly, for no reason, becomes very passive. So you are doing this normally, and then suddenly you won't do it anymore. Or you are engaged, and then suddenly you are not engaged anymore. That's passive. I mean, imagine that you are in a relationship and then suddenly your partner or what do you call it? Your bae, yeah. Your bae, 
Yeah, or your bestie. I think I like bestie. Your bestie. Your bestie suddenly doesn't want to engage anymore. The bestie won't do what she used to do. Maybe the bestie was always calling you at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, or maybe your bestie, true, that's a good, good point. Maybe your bestie every month will go to Atlanta, will, will come and visit you in Atlanta. And then suddenly, for no reason, your bestie doesn't show up. Maybe you're expecting it on the first and no show. No show, no call. That's how, that's how people are in church. Listen, that is how we are in church. Sometimes you are waiting and depending on someone and then no show, no call, nothing. Imagine that you are getting married and you are at the altar, husband. You are there with your suit, everything together, your best men, your besties, you know, they've all lined up. How do they line up? Over there, yeah. They are touching your, with the handkerchief, you are sweating. When you are there, the priest is standing there waiting, 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 waiting. And the bride never shows up. Never shows up. Meanwhile, you have invited people to church, I mean to your wedding. You have printed invitation, I mean, do they even print invitation cards these days? No. They have invites, websites and things, you know. You have your, um, what do they call that thing that you go and do presents? Registry. You've set up a wedding registry. People have started buying you plates and forks and spoons and things, all those kinds of things. And the bride doesn't show up. You're waiting, waiting, waiting. No show. How would you feel? Yeah. <laughs> so, you must, you must understand that being passive, it's, it's, it's a very terrible thing. See, when you are engaged and you now pull back, it, it, it's, it's a painful thing. Look at Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 10. Look at what it says, Jeremiah 48 verse 10. Jeremiah 48 verse 10. 48 verse 10. 48, please. 28, 48. It says that, why, there's no 48 in your Bible. Good, very good, thank you. It says, cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Do you understand this scripture? It's saying that when you, especially the last part, it says that, when you keep back your sword from blood, you are cursed. In a war, when you are fighting as a team, a soldier, I mean, you are in a team of soldiers, and you are fighting with a sword, killing, slicing, choking, everything. And then people who are around you also fighting in the same battle, suddenly you pull back your sword, and you say you won't fight again. What have you done? You have exposed, because if we have a team of 10 and we are fighting a war, and then maybe there are 10 people on the other side, so 10 versus 10, and then suddenly you draw back your sword and you say you are not fighting anymore. So suddenly we now have 10 versus 9. You have exposed our team to defeat. You are welcome. Yeah. So, w- w- being passive is, is, I mean, it's such a serious thing that the Bible describes it as you, you, when you are passive and you pull back, especially suddenly with no warning, you are cursed. It's not a blessing. It's not a blessing at all. I said, it's, it tells someone it's not a blessing to be passive. Yeah. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, let's read 2 Samuel chapter 13. 
Let's start from verse 20. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. Uh, let's go back to verse 18. Let's go back to verse 18. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparel. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put, on, put ashes on her head and rent her garment. Did we skip a verse? No. Okay. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse covers that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, had Amnon thy brother been with thee, but hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her, brother's, in her brother Absalom's house. Next verse. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very rough. Mind you that Absalom and Amnon are brothers. Their father is who? Are you following the story? So David is king. He has some sons, including Absalom and Amnon. Okay? And Absalom spoke unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Now, last week we started talking about this story, but we didn't read the story because we didn't have time. But this is what was going on, that um, uh, Amnon, Amnon ended up raping his sister Tamar, King David's children. And I was telling you that sometimes you have to understand that leaders have very difficult situations to deal with. Yeah, because King David had to, I mean, he was, he was faced with this terrible Situation where his children, one child, Absalom, was now vehemently angry with his brother because his brother had also um, raped his sister. Family crisis. And yet he was the king. Hmm. So you see here that Absalom, go back to verse, uh, verse uh, 21, please. Sorry, 20, verse 20. Absalom heard what his brother had done, and he went to his sister and asked his sister, Had Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister, because he is your brother. He's like, don't say anything. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Verse 22. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon. Yo, listen, when you see, when, especially in a church, when people don't say much, they won't say good, they won't say bad. I mean, this is passivity. It's like, I have nothing to say about this thing. Just quiet. You never say anything. They're just watching you. Just watching quietly. Really? Oh, I have nothing to say. Oh, we are this, we're going to do the, and we're going to do this. We are trying to do this. I have nothing to say. Oh, is that so? Oh, okay. All the best. They will not say anything good, neither will they say anything bad. That is passivity. He said that Absalom was so angry, he hated Amnon. And the way he showed that he hated Amnon was by saying nothing. And you see, you have to, when you, you, you have to mature to the point where you can see that when people are angry with you or people don't like you, it is not everybody who will come and tell you in your face that, hey, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. They don't do that. That's, that's little children. That's what little children do. 
Like my son and my daughter will say, oh, you are not my friend anymore. Oh, you are not my friend anymore. Oh, you are upset with me. You are not my friend. They talk. They say, oh, yeah. But then you see, as people mature into hatred and anger, they just stay silent. They won't say good. They won't say bad. They are just there. They are just waiting. Waiting for an opportunity. Yeah. It says that he, he, he hated Amnon. You see, <laughs> he hated Amnon. Hmm. Hallelujah. So one of the questions that you need to be asking all the time, and I try to gauge that all the time in the church, and you should also do that. You should always be checking whether people are genuinely happy. Yeah, all the time. You should be checking. Are, are you really happy? Is everything okay? You know? Because many people don't say much. You know? As you are, you are, maybe you are married. The wife is not saying anything. Quiet! Neither good nor bad. <laughs> it's a problem. You need to understand that it's a problem. Ask, always ask. I need to ask you. I need to check whether you are happy. Because you have been in, uh, where were you? Seattle. Seattle. Which city? Or Seattle is the city. Which state? Washington, yes. Washington, is this Washington? Washington state and Seattle is the capital city. Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. So I need to know, are you happy? Are you, are you happy? You have just come. You've been away for several months. Is, is he happy or is he carrying some anger or some hatred? Is he going to be passive or is he going to be active? Because maybe he was, he was very active in the church before and then suddenly he goes away and he comes back and he doesn't want to do anything. What has happened? What has changed? Do you understand what's going on? Yeah. So in the church, passivity is a clear sign that you are on your way to being disloyal. And we must arrest it very quickly to prevent you from getting into a bad place. Yeah. Number four, the next step of disloyalty, it's called the critical stage. Everyone say critical. Critical stage. Okay, so turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Chapter 15. Remember, we just talked about Absalom, right? Let's start from verse 1. So this is Absalom, neither saying good, neither saying bad. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Verse 2, and Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. <laughs> Absalom said, Moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, and I will do him justice. So this is the same Absalom guy who... Previously, we learned that he was extremely offended and angry about Amnon, his brother, because Amnon, his brother, had done something bad to his sister, but he said nothing. He became very passive. He was not engaging his brother, was not talking to his brother. 
He was not involved in anything. He was quite, then suddenly, he says that in verse 1, he says that he made himself horses and uh, a chariot and horses and took some men. And then he went all the way. Go, 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 to, verse, uh, go to the next verse. No, verse 2. And he rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. In other words, he, was, he went to the entrance of the city. Entrance of the city, where everybody coming can see him. Mind you that Absalom was a, 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 the son of the king. Then he said, Thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. So, when we talk about the critical stage, we are talking about people progressing from passivity to criticizing leaders and criticizing the judgment of the leaders. Absalom said, people were coming to see the king. Then he met them at the gate. Where's the Rajra? I saw Martin. Son, okay. All right. So they met, um, Absalom met them at the gate and now said to them that, what are you coming? What are you coming here to do? What, what is going on? And the people said, oh, we have an issue. We have a matter. Because in those days, the king was also the judge. Okay, so when you have a case, you don't go to the Supreme Court. You go to the king. That's why it was important that God anointed the king and gave him wisdom. Remember Solomon? The Bible says that God anointed him with wisdom, so much wisdom, that said that there was neither like him and neither shall anyone after him be like him. So the king will sit down in his whatever, palace or on his throne, and people from all over will come and see him, and he will judge their issues or judge their cases. So here we have this guy coming, and who, do, who does he meet? He meets the king's son, and the king's son's first reaction is that, oh, as for our king, he doesn't have any deputy. He doesn't have anybody that, he hasn't given anybody power or anybody authority to also help. This is, this is what the man is saying. Think about it. Criticizing the king, criticizing his father, and saying that he has not done what he should have done. The king has not um, appointed a deputy. There is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. It's like, oh, the king is too busy. It's like, the pastor is too busy. He's too busy. Oh, he doesn't have time to come and see you. Oh, he doesn't have time. This is your issue. Let me, I can sort it out. Yeah. So you now begin to criticize the leaders and the pastors and, and those who have been put in charge. Next verse. Verse 4. Absalom said, moreover, Oh, that I were made judge. You can change it to the living translation, the new living translation. It says, oh, that I were made judge. I wish I were the judge. Then people could bring their problems to me and I will give them justice. This is the guy who was passive and quiet and will not say anything. Suddenly, he's now criticizing his father and saying that, I wish that I was the judge. When people start to criticize, you have to be very careful of their motives. When they come to you and they start to say, look, bring me the problem. Tell me the issue. I will try and solve it for you. Don't worry about our man, the king. He's too busy. Doesn't have time. He's this, he's that, he's that. Criticizing, criticizing, criticizing. You have to be very careful. You have to watch it. You have to, don't allow people to pull you into criticism. Amen. You are too quiet. I'm teaching you something here. Yeah. Don't allow people to pull you into criticism. If you have an issue or you have a problem, just come and talk to, talk to, talk to somebody about it. 
Don't stay silent. Don't stay silent. It will drive you out. It will drive you to a place where you, you are not going to be happy. Because it's not that you're a bad person or the person who is criticizing is a bad person. It's just that the devil is trying to scramble God's plan. That's it. I said the devil is trying to do what? Scramble God's plan. Everybody here, God has a unique, special plan for your life. And that plan is supposed to bring you to a place of joy, of peace, of happiness, living in God's will, doing what you are supposed to do, being happy, being effective, being strong, being healthy, being well. I mean, God's plans are good plans, you see. But the devil tries to come in and scramble like an egg. You see, you can, it's very difficult to put an egg back together when it's scrambled. Have you thought about it? When you scramble the egg while you are cooking the egg, frying the egg, you can never put it back together. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that. So don't allow yourself to be pushed into a spirit or an atmosphere of criticism. It will drive you away. Absalom said, I wish I were the judge so that people will come and I'll grant them justice. Not his father, not the leader. He, Absalom, wanted to be the one. He was saying that, why will my father not appoint me as a judge? What is my father doing? What kind of leadership is this? What type of leadership is this? That you are not there for the people. Your son is doing bad things. You will not stop him. You have marital problems. You have um, family problems. What? I don't think God is with such a person. This is what Absalom was saying. I don't think he said, because of all, you see, you stand somewhere, people who are like Absalom, they'll just stand somewhere, look, look, he say, I'm not trying to criticize, but the evidence is clear. He said, I'm not saying anything. This is the evidence. If the man was truly anointed, how come he can solve his marital and family problems? What's going on with Tamar and Amnon? What's happening here? Why can't the Spirit of God help the man to see? Or he can only see when a woman is bathing. His eyes only open when women are bathing. And he calls them that they should bring the women to him so that he'll, be, he'll marry them. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying about David. Yeah, because that's the truth. David's eyes were opened. And he saw a woman bathing. And he was supposed to be at war. But he wasn't there. He forsook war for a woman bathing. So, Absalom seemed to have a good point. And that's the point I want to make, that when people are criticizing, they they always seem to have a good point. Even you, when you are criticizing, you don't just get up and criticize. You look for your chance and your opportunity. It's like, oh, the Republicans are like this. Why are the Republicans like this? You give a reason. There will always be a reason. Or, oh, the Democrats are like this. You always be able to find a reason why the Democrats are not fit to be leaders. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Trump has done this, this, this. this. There's always something. You will always find something to criticize someone about. Always. Always. And so it's, and, and it's also very difficult for people to have nothing that you can point and say is wrong about their lives. Very difficult. Most people have things about them that you can actually criticize. Yeah. And that's what the devil uses. The devil uses the things in our lives against us. Yeah. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said it himself. He said, the devil cometh and findeth nothing in me. There was nothing. The devil came, tried, but he couldn't find anything in Jesus. He couldn't find anything. He couldn't find anything. So, ladies and gentlemen, allow yourself to be delivered from criticism. 
Allow yourself. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. When you can, when you are able to, 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 to pull yourself away, you, you know, you will be able to see that there's a, there's a saying that um, um, it's either your viewpoint or your point of view. Have you heard that thing before? Have you heard the difference between your viewpoint and your point of view? Have you heard that comment before? Okay, what that comment means is that your, your, your point of view is always determined by your viewpoint. So where you stand and view the issue or analyze the issue will determine your view on the issue. Your point of view determines your viewpoint. Or your viewpoint determines your point of view. <laughs> yeah. How you see something will determine how you, you feel about the thing. So you can see, your, you, can, you can look at your pastor or look at the church in a certain way. So, oh, this church, they are like this. And then you, you form an opinion about the church. You say, oh, this man, he's like this. He does this, he does this, and so this is, his, this is your view about the person. Meanwhile, it may not be so, or even if it is so, you can choose. You can choose how to view someone. Yeah, you just need to be, you just need to be in a relationship for some time. Not just um, a, a, a love relationship. You know, I'm talking about just being friends or even a parental relationship or any type of relationship brother, sister, whatever. You, you just need to be in it for a few years and you realize that people are different. Everybody is different. And you can always find something about someone to criticize. Always. Jesus himself was criticized many times, many times, many times. Oh, he's a drunkard. He's, he's, he's this, he's that. Two, three thousand years, almost two, three thousand years after he died. People are still criticizing him. People are still bashing him. Yeah. So, criticism or the critical stage is a very important stage towards disloyalty, and you have to do everything to avoid it. Number five, the political stage. So fifth stage of disloyalty is the political stage. Now, when a person becomes political, he tries to involve others in his ideas and philosophies. That is what politics is. Politics is a, is, it's, it's about ideas. So someone has an idea, and he tries to get other people to buy into his idea. That's politics. That's, what, that's the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats have ideas. They say, this is how things should be done. And they go around trying to get people to buy into that idea. And Republicans also have a different kind of idea, trying to get people to buy into that idea. So everybody is trying to pull someone into his idea. Political stage. First, uh, sorry, Second Samuel chapter 15. Let's look at Absalom again. Verse 3. And Absalom said unto him, You've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. Uh, four. I wish I were the judge. Then people could bring their problems to me and I would give them justice. And when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and embraced them. This is Absalom. <laughs> so you see, political stage or politics is when people try to endear themselves to you at the expense of others. So you have a leader or you have a church and then someone else tries to make you sort of like them more than the church that God has given you or the pastor that God has given you. Someone can come and say, like Absalom, Absalom said, um, they tried to bow before. Absalom said, no, 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 don't bow, don't bow. Come for a hug. I mean, what is bowing? Come for a hug. I mean, the guy was very sharp, oh. 
Very sly guy. He said, well, what is a hug? I mean, what is a, what is bowing? What is bowing? Come and hug the son's skin. Come, come, come. And he was a very handsome man. Remember how he died? Last week I told, I told you about how he died. He had long, nice hair, like Liz, Liz hair. Yeah. Long, nice hair. And when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and embraced them. Next verse, six. So in this way, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Yeah, that's politics. Politics and politicians try to steal your heart. They capture you. It's like, this thing is good. This thing is good. Come and join my side. Yeah, come and join my side. I will make you great again. Yeah, so I'll make you great again. Then everybody's wild. It's like, oh, wow, great greatness. My goodness, I, I like greatness. Come, come, come. I'll make you great again. Yeah. Stole their hearts. President Obama would give a speech. He's giving a speech about politics, and people are crying. Yeah. Just listening to him, I mean, the, the people fell in love with him so much. The tears, tears would be running. His last speech when he was going out of office, people were crying. I mean, tears were running down the cheeks. Hey! I mean, he could rap. I, I remember I used to watch his speeches. Sometimes he would, I mean, just sitting at home, watching this man speak. And he, he'll finish speaking, and I'll just get up and start clapping. <laughs> yeah, I'll just be clapping in my own house. I mean, I've not gone anywhere. I'm just sitting watching TV. I don't remember getting up to clap for anybody speaking like that. Yeah. But he had, he had a gift. Politicians, they know that that is what it is. If they can steal your heart, it's over. Steal your heart, it's over. You, you'll do anything for them. And so sometimes when people are fully into politics, you, you cannot say anything. They cannot see anything contrary to what they see. It's like, I'm on this side, so no matter what they do, I support them. It says, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So now the people no longer regarded the king, David, anymore. They were it's like Absalom is our man. Absalom is what? Our man. <laughs> so, political stage or being political involves going to people and trying to steal their hearts. After offense, after, um, uh, what's stage four? Passivity. And after criticism, what you now see is that there is a spirit of, of political maneuverings and one-on-one. It's like, oh, how was church today? I mean, someone can come to you. So, so how was church today? It's waiting for an answer. Oh, church was great. Really? I say, really? Really? What was going on with the microphone? I mean, what kind of church is it that they have to change mic three, four times? What's going on? The people are not prepared. The, the lady was coming to sing five minutes, ten minutes. We're waiting for her to sing. What's going What kind of church is it? They were not organized. Are you sure you really enjoy the church? Are you sure you want to go back? You know, there's another church. I think when I went there, things were very organized. You know, I, I, like, I tend to like organization. See, I'm a very organized person. I don't like to go to a church and the thing, I mean, it's like they're joking. It's like it's a game. I mean, this is church. It's church. Why can't the drums sound well? What is this drum that it's like it's broken? What are they doing with the offerings? It's all politics. I mean, it's all politics, I'm telling you. Politics. It's, it's ask all kinds of smart answers. Ask smart questions. Looking for smart answers. And you see that you are trapped. Because the, the, the question is insidious. It, 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 it makes you think about something in a certain way. But it's just a question. It's just a question. Oh, it seems like nowadays 
People are not really coming to church. Is there something wrong? What, what's going on? I mean, what, how are you supposed to answer such a question? So someone comes in, oh, I think that the church, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what's going on. There's, there must be something. Spirit, the spirit is not there anymore. Spirits, nowadays the spirit is not there. Yeah. So you must guard your heart and guard yourself from politics and being political in the church. This person says this, this person says that. When you go into a church and that thing is there, that feeling is there, you can't be comfortable. Many people go, you go to a church and this person doesn't talk to this person, this person said this about this person, this person said this about, you, you can't be comfortable. And that is one of the reasons I'll tell you. There are many people I've spoken to, they said that, look, as for me, I don't like African churches. I'll never go to an African church. I mean, this church is not an African church. I have to make that clear. It may have start, originated from some part of Africa, but it's not an African church. I must say that clearly. Yeah. But people don't come to the church, this church and many other churches because they say it's an African church. Why? Because it's like when you go to African churches, the, the prevalent spirit there is this person doesn't like this person. This per- so some people only sit on this side. Some people don't, they don't, they don't mix. They don't go on this side. This person says this. This person said that. When it's time to shake hands, people move. When they're going to the institute and they just turn like that. And they go to the, and they just turn like that, just swerving, maneuvering people. African churches. So they've categorized all kinds of people because of this politics. Politics. So what we are teaching is driving out that type of spirit from the church. Yeah. If you don't teach it, it will not go, it will remain, it will become strong in the church. So we have to teach it, we have to learn about it, we have to try and drive it out of our lives. And when we drive it out of our lives, it will be driven out of the church. Amen. So that we can build a church and be strong. Because what is the point in building a church or building a house and then you leave their gaps, their holes, that people come in and it's like, oh, it's the same thing. They are this, they are this, they are that, and they walk away. It doesn't take you even two weeks. When you go into a place and that spirit is there, you can sense it. You can sense it. When you go into a place where people genuinely love you and people are genuine, it doesn't take long for you to... You can, you can, I don't know how to describe it, but you can feel it. You can feel it. But when you are in a place and I mean, you are just sitting there, you can see that, ah, this person... And this person, it seems like there's something going on. Hey, what's going on over here? These people, they do this, and these people to do that. So where do I belong? Then you are lost. Then you begin to think, um, who, who, who should I make my ally? Who, who, who should, yeah, yeah. Your time in church, instead of concentrating on God, and, and, and the word, you are now trying to determine which, which political aisle, uh, which side of the political divide you should be on. Yeah. Hallelujah. So don't take it for granted. Don't allow yourself to be pulled into absolemic politicization of the church. Yeah. It's a word. Number six, deception. Stage number six of disloyalty is deception. Many people are deceived. That is why they become disloyal. They are deceived. They do not know the truth. They are deceived. And they are deceived into believing and into thinking that they are greater. John chapter 13 verse 16 says, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. When you read Ezekiel chapter 28, I don't want us to go through all of it, but it talks about Lucifer, Satan. And it describes how Satan was in heaven. Do you know that Satan was actually an angel? 
living in heaven with God. And the Bible says that he rose up and fought against God because of pride and because of deception. It's in Ezekiel chapter 28. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. If I start this thing, we may not finish. 14, verse 14 or 13. Look at verse um, 13. Thou hast been, go to verse 12. I, I'm trying to see where I can. Yeah. Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 13. Next verse, please. Thou hast been in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, the carbon, and the gold, and the workmanship of thy tablets, and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. It's talking about Satan, Lucifer. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have said thee so. Thou vast upon thy holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from thy day, from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Next verse. By the multitude of, switch, switch the version, but it says, um, verse 16, in uh, Living Translation, it says, it says that, um, go, 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 go. Your, you, your great wealth filled you with violence and you sinned. So I banished you from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Next verse. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and exposed you to the curious gaze of the kings. You defiled your sanctuaries and your, man, your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire from within you and it consumed you. I let it burn you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Yeah. So it describes, you, you, can, you can see, I, I, I would encourage you to keep reading it, but a lot of people tend to be deceived by their success. Don't allow yourself to be deceived when you become blessed. I'm saying it again. Don't allow yourself to be deceived when you become blessed. When God blesses you, don't turn against him. That was Satan's primary sin. He turned against God. God, you see, the Bible was described, he said, everything, every pleasant thing was found in you. And yet you turned against God. Many of us, if I say, Will you, do you have traits of Satan? You say no. How? How can I be Satan? How can I do what Satan did? No, you say, you will not allow me to finish my sentence. But this was Satan. He turned against God despite the blessing of God. Criticizing God. And today, many believers, many Christians, like, they, they will go to Sunday school, they will teach They'll be, they'll, be, they'll be taught in Sunday school. They will, they, they will form godly character from Sunday school. Their parents will take them to church. They will, I mean, they become good people because of the church that they went to. Because of the upbringing that they had as children. They grew up and they become very good men and women. And then, as they are older and they are blessed... They now turn against the church. So, oh, the church, they are this. These churches that have come, they are like this. These people who call themselves pastors, they are like this. And it's all about money. And it's all this. And it's all that. And they become, they become major critics of the church. Meanwhile, who you are is a direct Result of the church and the upbringing you got in the church. How then can you turn against the church and turn against the, the leaders of the church and start to behave like Satan because of the blessing of God? 
Because God has made the mistake of blessing you, you can now point fingers and say that, oh, the church is like this. The church is like that. The pastor is like this. The pastors are like that. They have done this. They have done this. They have done this. Because you are blessed. So if you were God, what will you do? You will just take your hand back. You pull your hand. The hand of blessing upon the life of that person. You just pull it back. I say, okay, now you are on your own. Be on your own. So, ladies and gentlemen, don't allow yourself to fall into that trap. When God blesses you, 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 you must now rise up and, and, and let the blessing be what it's supposed to be. Something that spurs you on to do more for God. Amen. Let every blessing you receive in your life be something that spurs you on. To do more for God. Not more to get more blessings or to get more money or to get more whatever. Everything and anything you can see around you, you want it. Every high title, every high position, everything, you do anything. But when it comes to God, no. Final stage. Open rebellion. When people get to this stage, not the final stage, the last but one stage, they become rebels. Open rebels. Second Samuel 16 verse 1, David said, Behold, my son Absalom, which come forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. Seeketh my life. Judas, Judas Iscariot. He harbored all these things, all these things, um, stages of disloyalty. When he got to stage seven, he said, the Bible says, And Judas came, and with him a great multitude with swords. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. So now the thing has moved from a silent feeling or a silent thing inside your heart to open rebellion. You are not afraid anymore. You say it and do it openly. Judas just went. He said, in the public, he said, I will give this man a kiss. When I give him a kiss, he's a man. Catch him. Absalom, at the end of his, of, of, of his uh, behavior, now went straight and was fighting against his father. Openly. He, no more, he was no more saying things in secret and in proverbs and parables. He was now openly rebelling against the man. So if you don't, see when you see someone gets up and is fighting the church and fighting, I mean aggressively in the open, it, doesn't, it didn't just start yesterday. Took time. Took time. And then the final stage is execution. First Samuel 15 verse 23. The end of all rebels is the same. And that stage is execution. It says that for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Exodus 22 verse 18 says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Hmm. Don't suffer a witch. It's not by force to let a witch live. That's, that's the literal translation. It is not compulsory. That when you see a witch, the witch has to live. No. Don't suffer a witch to live. Allow the witch to go. Don't let a sorceress live. Finish her off. Yeah. And then it says, rebellion is like witchcraft. So if rebellion is like witchcraft, then it means that rebels also don't let a rebel live. Don't let a rebel live. It's the Bible. So we can give example after example of all kinds of rebels in the Bible. Absalom, Lucifer, Judas, all of them were, they ended up being executed, destroyed. They died in the midst of their years. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for stages of disloyalty. I believe that God is going to touch our hearts and these words are going to remain in us like fire. 
it's going to, it's going to help us to understand what it means to actually help build a church. Yeah. God is calling all of us to help build a church. And we must drive out these negative spirits inside, uh, from inside the church. Remember I told you about the fifth column? You, how many of you remember the fifth column? You've forgotten already? Fifth column. Okay, next week I'll go over all of this again. Stand to your feet. Let us pray. I want you to pray. Close your eyes, everybody. Just pray right now and ask God to help you overcome any spirit of disloyalty in your life. Pray and ask God. Tell God to help you to overcome offense. Anyone and anybody that has offended you, pray and ask God to help you to forgive. Help you to forgive. Pray and ask God that you will not be passive. You will not stand aside and not be involved and not get engaged and not be a part of what's going on. Ask God, pray. I want everybody to pray. Open your mouth and pray and ask God to help you. 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 And I believe that he will. He will deliver us. He will deliver us. He will, he will drive out any spirit of disloyalty festering in our lives, festering in our church. And we would allow the spirit of God, the spirit of peace, spirit of love, spirit of unity, spirit of a sound mind. We would allow that spirit to take over and to lead us. Father, we thank you We thank you for your word. Your word is life. It brings us life. It turns us away from the path of destruction and puts us back on the path of life. So we ask you, Lord, that let these words not fall on stony ground. May our hearts not be stony. May our hearts not be dry patches but may our hearts be fertile ground that receive your word with gladness and bear forth much fruit we thank you thank you for your presence with us for teaching us in Jesus name with your eyes closed I want to ask you I want to invite you if you are here you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to lift up your hand. I want to pray with you. Maybe you have given your life to Jesus, but you are saying, Pastor, pray with me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen. If I have to go to heaven today, I'm not sure if I'll be accepted. If something were to happen to me tomorrow, I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell. But I want to make sure that I, I have my name written in the book of life. So, Pastor, pray with me. If that's, what, if that's your prayer, and if that's what you want for your life, I want you to pray with me. Say, Dear Lord, I thank you for today. Why don't we all join in the prayer? Say, Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for sending him into my life to die for me. From today, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Please write my name in the book of life. I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I want us to take communion right now. Now, it's important for us to take to take communion. Hold on. Communion. Jesus said that do this in remembrance of me. Anytime we take communion, we are remembering God. We are remembering Jesus, what he did for us. And it's a sign of our commitment and our engagement. It's a sign that we are not passive. It's a sign that we are not forgetting about what God did for us. He sent his only son. 
So I want us to take it seriously. Every time, every moment that we are here, every moment that we are here for communion, it's a time of deep reflection and it's a time of, of, of coming together and understanding what God has done for us. So, Father, we thank you. Please close your eyes. We're praying. Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to come before your table to eat of your body and drink of your blood. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember the great sacrifice and the life that we now have in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Lift up your bread. Say, this is the body of Jesus Christ. Pray one more time. The body of Jesus Christ. Eat it. Lift up the cup. Say the blood of Jesus. Say because of this blood, all my sins are washed away. Every infirmity in my life is washed away. Every spirit of disloyalty is washed away. In Jesus' name. Drink it. Father, we thank you. Close your eyes, please. We thank you for this great blessing to remember you and remember your sacrifice. Sending your precious son, your only son, into this world for us. May we always remember how important it was for him to die for our sins. May we always rejoice knowing that someone paid the price. And may we also be ready to pay a price for others to get to know you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that your life has been transformed by the power of the Word of God. If you would like us to pray with you or would like to worship with us, please contact us at the Codes Family Church, University City, Philadelphia or call 267-809-5530. Thank you and God richly bless you. Come love